Welcome to ADHD Love Parent Talk, episode 51. Don't try to have your kid overcome ADHD. It's the awareness of this is the way they do it and really advocate for that because if you don't, it's like me, I, I got dyslexia. I'm not, I'm not going to spell. I haven't took one. I just gave up. It was, I was spending so much energy trying, maybe I should spell right, but it was impairing my life because I wouldn't get anything else done. And now that I just accepted it, every once in a while people get in my crawl. I'm like, right, that's, that's all, that's, if you're going to judge me on that, you got bigger problems than me. And I just let it go. My life has been so much easier as a result of that. So at the end of the day, my point really is, is that don't try to fix your kid. Don't think that they're going to overcome it. The idea is to understand it's there and help them work with their ADHD and work with the working memory. You can take some stuff and improve it a little bit, but if you're performing at the 20th percentile and you got to the 30th, that's 50% improvement, but you're still below average. If you're the 90th percentile and you get to the 99th, that's a 10% improvement. You went from good to almost Olympic gold. Hello, and welcome to the ADHD Love Parent Talk podcast. If you felt like you have been walking your path alone as an adult with ADHD, or as a parent with children with ADHD, you are finally home. I interview parents and professionals, including doctors, coaches, educators, and so much more so you can not only learn more information about ADHD, I also want you to have tools that you can put in your toolbox as you're going through your journey. Hey, my ADHD family, welcome to another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk, where we talk about all things ADHD. Today, my guest is Jeff Copper. We are actually going to discuss working memory. And I really like this topic because this is something that comes up all the time in the ADHD community. So Jeff, welcome. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come on and talk to the, to the crowd, spread the word. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. I call myself an ADHD and attention coach because I think attention is really kind of what a coach. It's more representative because when you think about it, what goes on inside of your head, only you can witness. Same thing for me. So when you think about it, when it comes to attention, you got nothing to compare it to. Okay. So effectively, I'm like a blindfolded basketball coach. All I can do is ask questions of the players and we go back and forth and um, help you discover kind of what to do. So it's I look at my job as being somewhat of a scientist, if you will, because it's the unknown. And I ask questions with people and kind of work with them to actually help them explore and understand attention and the thinking process so that they can um, achieve what they're capable of. I got into this business because I've had my own challenges. I've got dyslexia and a learning disability, and I mm -hmm. struggled a lot most of my life until I got tired of listening to everybody else. And I just started being self-aware and doing what worked. And what worked worked for me. And then I got into this business and I, I adore working with people in all facets around attention, but particularly attention deficit disorder because they struggle a lot or people with dyslexia and really trying to help them understand the brain. Okay, perfect. So that kind of tells me why you know a little bit about ADHD. So today I really want to get into just, just jump into the working memory piece. So yeah. can you start off with what is executive function and how it is tied to working memory? Okay, so just to kind of set the table, executive function is a bit of a, it's, it's, it's all over the place. I really look up to Dr. Russell Barkley because executive function is a term that has been used out there kind of loosely. Mm. And in 2011, he was making an argument. If you took a test, an executive function test, it didn't show up as an impairment. But we know ADHD resides in the prefrontal cortex, which is where executive functioning are. And so he came up with an argument saying, number one, he found 34 different definitions of, of executive function in the literature. 
And it was like kind of a dog's breakfast, anything goes. And he set about trying to bring some form to it. So all the researchers kind of agreed that self-regulation was a, was a big one. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of start there and he built out a model because executive functions is intangible, but we're humans. We like to kind of break it down into components. And his model starts with the most basic level self-awareness, mm-hmm. which you have to have in order to have self-restraint or self-control or really self-regulation. Then the next level is visual, um, visual working memory, nonverbal working memory, which is talking to yourself, emotional self-regulation, and then the highest level is playing with information in your mind. And today we want to talk about uh, working memory, but it's really kind of all three, the visual imagery and nonverbal communication and playing with information in mind, that kind of collectively comes together. So really, we're going to talk about in terms of working memory, but really thinking inside of your head is fundamentally mm-hmm. what it was. And you know, that's where we organize and sequence and stuff like that. So for grins and giggles, if you don't mind, I'm going to read a definition of working memory. Okay. And um, then we're going to play with you a little bit, see if we can kind of bring this <laughs> to Absolutely. <laughs> working memory is the ability to hold thoughts in your mind while organizing and sequencing them without forgetting what they are. Again. It's the ability to hold thoughts okay. in your mind while organizing and sequencing them without forgetting what they are. You think you got a pretty good idea what that is? Putting things in order and not forgetting. So you're going to name some things and then I'm going to yeah. try to put it in order. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do an attention exercise. Everybody out there who's watching this, I'm going to ask you to participate. I'm going to talk to her with regard to this. And so, you do it on your own because I want to put you in experience. You understand what we're talking about. So in a minute, I'm going to say five words. Okay. Um, please don't write them down. Okay. And if you feel the urge to repeat those words, please don't. Okay. Uh, but when I'm done and when you're ready, I'd like you to repeat the words back to me in alphabetical order. Okay. You ready? <laughs> yes. A little nervous? Nah. Oh, good. Okay. Here we go. Teacher. Zebra. Kangaroo. Bumblebee. Hippopotamus. Um, bumblebee, hippopotamus, kangaroo, teacher, zebra. Excellent. Got it all right. Was that easy? No. No. I had a, yeah, right. I'm, I'm yeah. thinking in my mind by letter. So. Did you hear what you said? <laughs> I'm thinking in my mind. Mm-hmm. What I want you to understand is you didn't learn anything new. Everything, you know what all those are. I did on purpose. You could visualize as a man, you know what the alphabetical order is, but what you had to do is you had to listen to the words, load them into your prefrontal cortex, hold them there while you paid attention to them individually and repeat them back to me in alphabetical order. So in other words, you had to grab that information, manipulate it towards a goal without forgetting them. That's working memory. That's amazing. I gave you five words it was relatively easy. You got through it, but imagine if I gave you 10 or if I gave you five complicated concepts. Make sense? Makes sense. Now that you understand that experience, isn't that a little bit easier than just the words? Working memory is the ability to hold thoughts in your mind while organizing and sequencing them without forgetting what they are. Did you see how easier it was to conceptualize that when I put you in the experience and the reading the words on the page? Absolutely, because of the visualizing part. I mean, that's what I had to do. So it's the visual imagery. One of the things I like to do with people is like I'll read them the instructions to tie a knot. <laughs> oh my God. Everybody, everybody's like, no, because of that, if I demonstrate it for you, you're no longer having to take the words off of the page and create that visual imagery 
in motion picture form in order to do that. And the reason we're bringing this up today is because this is a big challenge for people with ADHD. In fact, in my work, it looks like a focus issue and it is, but when thinking becomes really difficult, people with ADHD escape. And we have a tendency to focus on they need to try harder or they just need to focus as opposed to, you know, maybe we need to make thinking easier because it's too hard for them. That might make it the focus easier. So two parts of working memory. One is visual imagery. And if you would have written the words down, it would have been easy. You could manipulate those in front of you. It would have, you would have been thinking outside of your head as opposed to inside your head. Also, I won't go into the, the, the background just because of time, but um, kids, when they're young, sometimes they're playing with them by themselves and they're actually talking to themselves out loud. That's, that's verbal working memory. The issue really is, is we all talk to ourselves in our head, but at that age, the, the working memory is, is not as good. So they, they actually say the words out loud. They're talking out loud to themselves. Gotcha. A lot of people with ADHD talk a lot. They're not talking to you. They're actually thinking out loud. In fact, for some, not to talk is not to think. So if we begin to understand these concepts, we can begin to say, when you've got to think inside your head, which is how you describe the exercise when I put you in it, which is playing with information in your mind, we have to do it inside your head is hard. And when it's too hard, all you want to do is escape to anything that's easier. Whereas if we can get you to think out loud or outside of your head, thinking is a little bit easier. And the to challenge, and one of the reasons why I'm grateful to come on and talk to the parents is in our world, everybody wants tips, tricks, and strategies to help. And like, you know, there's all kinds of things that you can do, but when your working memory is impaired and you're forced to use a tool that's already making it worse, mm -hmm. there's really not a tip, trick, or strategy that's going to deal with that. And so we'll talk about it a little bit, but paper is high tech for many people with ADHD because they can spread it all around. We'll talk more about that in a second, but a lot of times yeah, kids these, these days, and I have to say it's harder for kids in school right now than it was for me because the tools that you're using and the expectations of the world is taxing their already tax working memory. Mm. And it's really, really frustrating. So I want to pause to give you an opportunity to comment or share. Does that make some sense to you, et cetera? Yeah, actually, as you were talking, one of the exercises I was thinking of, there's a, a gentleman who has this great memory and he will literally line up 25 people. They will say all their names and they would do it in different orders and he would just name them all. And I've actually tried that along and never, <laughs> I could never put those things in order in my uh -huh. mind. So it's just been a struggle, but I mean, it is, it was 25 people, right? So yeah. I give myself a break. But my question to you is, it sounds like we with ADHD tend to struggle a little bit more. Is that correct? Do we with ADHD tend to struggle more than others? I'm going to say people with more executive function impairments in general have more difficulty with working memory as opposed to the general population. So yes, uh, ADHD falls within that realm. All right. And there's some people that maybe they're really good at visual imagery, not so much nonverbal working memory, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it kind of varies. So I want to be careful about saying an absolute Mm -hmm. um, because it comes in many different forms, but in general, it's a struggle. And I talk a lot about working memory and a lot of people don't. And I like this opportunity to talk to you because I find that often people are trying to pay attention to the wrong thing. You know, your students just got to try harder or there's, you know, sometimes students, they do much better if you're just sitting there and they can ask questions and stuff like that in moments of ambiguity. We have a tendency to say you need to go study by yourself. And just recently from the pandemic, I mean, my phone's lit up because everybody was taken out of collaborative learning and work environments and told to go think on their own. And 
people start having difficulty left and right, and they're calling it a motivational problem and a, and a productivity problem. It's not to me, it's a thinking problem. So we're mm. not really addressing the core issue, again, which is why I'm grateful that you had Sean to talk about this. So another question, one of the things that I struggle with, and I know that there's a lot of people that do, is even when something is important to me, I forget it. So literally just yesterday, I lost my braces or my, my retainers. <laughs> I have no clue where those things are. And they're very expensive. Mm-hmm. Is it pretty common for people to even forget those things that are extremely important to them? Absolutely. Absolutely. So part of working memory is the loading of information in your mind. Think of this, when you turn on a computer, it's got to boot up, right? What's happening is the operating system is opening and, you know, different things are getting ready before you can work. Much the same way construction guys show up at a site to build a house. They're getting out the sawhorses, extension cords, and and, um, and all the tools that has to be prepared before they get ready. Mm-hmm. When you're reading some information to study, you're loading that information in your mind. Another thing to think about is sometimes you have to retrieve existing knowledge. Like, I've got a pack to go on a trip. Which case you're not learning anything new. You've got to go retrieve knowledge that's stored in the back of your head. Free recall is the ability to just instantaneously think about what you need. Most people can't do that. Not everybody. This is just an example, but some neurotypicals. What they'll do is they will run a movie picture, a simulation of their best guess of the trip. And as they go through that movie, it cues them. Oh, when I get off the plane, it's going to get cold. I need to go get a jacket. Oh, I have a formal. I need to get a tuxedo. Oh, I'm going to put my underwear on my socks. And they begin to visualize themselves, dressing themselves to cue their memory of the things that they need along the way. And they're packed. People with ADHD might try that, but they go, hey, I need to get my coat. By the time they go get their coat, they come back. They forgot where they are. They got to start the movie over again. And they find themselves starting over and over and over. And they just say, the heck with this. I'm not going to do it. That's the retrieval of information. Okay. That's existing knowledge. And for people with ADHD, often if, if they have an item that doesn't have a home and they stick it somewhere, they can't retrieve the knowledge of where they left it. Um, and sometimes they just left it somewhere because their working memory was distracted by something else. So it's, you know, it's common as a parent, let's say you're going to the room to go grab something, but you're thinking about work. And so there's a problem that you're grinding on. You walk into the other room and you, I don't even know why I'm here (laughs) because your memory can only hold so much information. And so some of it falls out. Um, You know, there's little stupid things like you could chant while you're thinking of this other thing. I've had people do that. It's not something you can do all the time, but you've got this thing that's going because your mind's thinking about something else in order to pull that together. So and, and forgive me for talking so fast, but I get excited about this. this oh, subject no I can understand everything you say. <laughs> the, the point really is, is that 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 recall and that retrieval of information is very much a challenge. And so because of the working memory, there's a lot of people that leave things out as cues, visual reminders. I like to use the word cued because it's a more generic word. So they leave things out as reminders for them to do stuff. If they put it away, they won't remember to do it. So it's out of sight, out of mind. So people with ADHD, some of them have a tendency to have a lot of things that are out. The problem with that is is when you have too much out, you become desensitized to it. Mm -hmm. So that's where the executive function of self-awareness comes into play. You have to be able to be mindful and manage that. But going to the point is a lot of people with ADHD, they forget those things. And so good structures are as you leave them in the same home all the time. So you go back to that home, although that behavior habits are more difficult for people to create than others Mm -hmm. because you have to stop and 
think through your working memory, the new instructions to reprogram yourself. Or what you do is you um, you leave visual reminders out in order for you to find that. So it's a dilemma that for kids when they're 12 or 13, they don't have the executive function and self-awareness to know that they need to do that. As you become older, adults sometimes can, like you know, problem solving and get that. But as, as a parent, that's why a lot of uh, kids stuff is more behavioral based because if we can program that behavior and still it's easier for them. But again, as you get a little bit older, changing your behavior becomes more difficult because you have to regulate, you have to stop, you have to pause and you have to recall the new thing. And to do that, when you have the pressure of the world coming down on you, adults will try it, but they'll succumb to the pressure and go back to the old method because it's automatic. Mm. I was listening to uh, quite a few of your videos and one had talked about how working memory or forgetting or just, you know, going through this process tends to affect people emotionally. How does that tie together? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So let's see, how can I do this? I hope I can phrase this because everybody's got, an opinion on emotion. Mm -hmm. I have a tendency like to boil things down to the essence, but if you think of an emotion, it's a reflex. Like you go to the doctor's office, they hit your knee, your knee swings out. An emotion is a reflexive reaction. And one of my favorite quotes is thinking is difficult. That's why people judge. Mm -hmm. Thinking is difficult. Reflexively, emotionally, we'll just judge the situation without thinking our way through it. Now, understand is I gave you that exercise with those five words and you said, well, I have to think, right? That's what thinking is. Thinking is hard. People with ADHD often like to escape it and they become more emotional and they do a lot of judging. And that happens a lot in my world when I'm working a lot with people. I'm like, you know, if you look at procrastination, about 80% of it's rooted in ambiguity. But what people do is they don't think about what they got to do, they call themselves a procrastinator. So they start name calling, like, I'm lazy, I'm a stupid, I'm a clown. Like, like, think about it. That's just name calling. It's not solving the problem. All you're doing is escaping the work of actually identifying what the issue is. Again, going back to how hard thinking is. <laughs> and there's a lot of parents out there ask their kids, and the kids go, I don't know. It's too right. hard for them to think about it, right? Right. So emotions can play a real role in some of this, but it's really at a at a level because we like to think we're all really, really analytical, but we're emotional and emotions escape from thinking. And so it's a bit of a challenge when your parents realize you're getting a lot of emotional responses from your kid and you know it, but the kids, you're trying to get them to think because you can't force them. But needless to say, emotion comes in and impedes your ability to think a lot of times. And the way I like to think about it is just thinking is hard. So reflexively, it's easier just to escape and be emotional to escape mm. it or to judge or jump to conclusions. It's, and it's happened so fast. That's why I call it a reflexive reaction. And it's for the, for those that are unaware, it's really, really difficult for those that become aware. It's amazing what they can do to manage themselves. But, you know, Rick Green, actually I have a quote on my wall. Rick Green once said, many ADRs report self-observation, which they find surprising because they're poor at self-observation. <laughs> 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 that is too funny. So as you, as you were getting into this, where you can begin to see that executive functioning cocktail is, is really complex because yeah. we thinking is difficult. So emotionally we react and we're not able to restrain ourselves because we're not aware. 
And so this is the loop that we kind of go into. And tactically, we try to work with people to try to help bring awareness. For adults, it's easier for me because I can put them in, you know, tension exercises like I just did with you. And you can begin to see it. And I can say, do you see all your, oh, yeah, yeah. Now, now that you can see it in your mind and you're in that moment, now what are you going to do? Like, oh, you can pause and think about it. Whereas it's hard to get a 13-year-old that's in heat because they're going through puberty to stop and think. And I don't mean to be vulgar, but. As a Boy Scout leader, we talked about perfume and petroleum. When kids are going through the process and they're trying to get their ego, you got to get it in because when that perfume and petroleum hits, you lost their attention. Yeah. <laughs> That's too funny. So, because <laughs> I'm thinking of my own children. Anyway, so, um, so when it happens to you, and I want to just expand on the, the emotional piece just a tiny bit. Does this happen across the board with children and with adults? Is it more profound in children than adults or does it really matter? ADHD is an issue of self-regulation. Two things you got to regulate. One's your attention and one's your emotion. Some people, by the way, emotions is not a part of the diagnostic criteria. Mm -hmm. It was before 1970. They Mm -hmm. took it out. We're not really sure why. Basically, we think it's because it was hard to measure. Okay. I think all the foremost experts in the world now agree it should be brought back in, but the DSM is usually the last thing that gets updated. So just know that it's not there. But if you're talking to, you know, uh, you know, Dr. Hallowell, Dr. Barkley, Dr. Roy, all the big names, their emotions is a big part of it. So that being said, I find that some people struggle sometimes more with regulating attention, not so much with emotion. Some it's really mostly emotion and some there's a balance between the two. And so that's for children and adults as it moves through. So it's it's an issue for all of them. It just it, it impacts different people at different levels or there's there are different places along the continuum. And when you think about it, emotional self-regulation is a real obstacle because you can't regulate your attention until you can regulate your emotions. If you don't struggle with the emotions so much, it's easier for me to work with somebody to regulate their attention because it's not emotional. Okay. And so it, it can be a big deal. And, and so it's, 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 and, and, and emotional self-regulation is more challenging to coach because it's emotional, mm. but it is at the heart of a lot of stuff that's there. And, you know, it's, it's, as I tell the parents out there, you know, if you really want to relate to what I'm saying is when you get frustrated with your ADHD kid and you start to raise your voice, well, you're struggling with your emotions because yeah. my mom, second grade teacher said, when you think about it, the more you talk to a kid when they're in trouble, the more you talk to them, the more they're in control of the conversation because you're demonstrating your willingness to negotiate. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I'm not any holier than you guys out there. I found myself lecturing my kids a couple of times and I'm just kind of in the business because emotionally you get off the rail. And, and I'm sharing that with parents because if you want to know what I'm talking about here is like when you're upset, you got to calm down first because it's self-regulation, whether you have ADHD or not, because it's not helping the situation. Because when you're that emotional, either the kid's in control or it's threatening. And when anything's threatening, they go to fight, fight, or freeze. And mm-hmm. so if you're trying to get them to go move forward and they're going to fight you, run like hell or play dead, the more you threaten them, it's counterintuitive, but you're actually kind of doing the wrong thing. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny because that's something that I had to learn over time. And there is actually just a lot of power in terms of getting yourself centered 
and having the conversation with your child in a more calmer manner, because they also respond and are able to think through what happened and how they can do things differently in the future. So just doing things differently, there's just a power around that. So, yes. And and it does require a lot of patient parents, which is difficult because the world is getting complicated. There's a lot more demands on you and your time. You know, unfortunately, I find that convenience is not very productive. We end up, people are having conversations over email, sometimes in the last two weeks, where if you could just get on the phone and hash it out, we could solve the problem in a couple minutes. It feels convenient, it feels more productive. It's not, but that just increases the demand on your time to rehash stuff that you've already covered to kind of get kind of caught up in. Unfortunately, it's the reality. We all have to figure that out these days, but it's, as a parent, it's a difficult time. It's not easy, but I, I will say is you can do it. You just calm down, take a couple deep breaths, and it's a it's a it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Understood. So, how do people work on their working memory? Are there any tips, tools that they can have? Yeah. So, I'm I'm really big person into mindsets. How your mind is set up to think. If you're looking for the shortcut, the tip, trick, or strategy, I don't have any of that for you. Mm-hmm. But today, we're, the conversation is really to talk about working memory and the role that it plays. So. I'm going to talk about a few things that are kind of going on that that is real. And so once you understand it, the idea is to problem solve. So forgive me, I don't really have as much as I'd like to. But, you know, back when I was a kid, back in the dinosaurs, um, you know, we have a book and I would highlight stuff I would read in a book and I would have my notes. And when I have it in front of a desk, I would my mouth, I could look at what I highlighted. Like I'm reading this, like if I'm studying, I'm like, okay, that's that. And my eyes would just dart over to this other sheet of paper with some stuff highlighted from my notes. And so my eyes are just going back and forth, right? Well, when you think about it today, these kids are on like a, a tablet, right? So they're they're read something on the tablet. The Microsoft Surface you can begin to highlight now. And I think the iPencil you can. Mm-hmm. But like a book, like in the old days, you had to, you know, you had to take it high. I mean, it was so many steps, nobody would do it. But the idea is before we could do that, and even now you read like a paragraph. And so then what you got to do is you got to think, okay, I got to click up here to get to another tab and scroll down and read. What am I looking for while you're holding this thing? And, you know, it's like walking in the other room and forgetting what you came in there for, right? So when you get there and you forgot that, you've got to go back to this. It's because... You've got to read this thing in your working memory and you're working towards a goal, but you're searching for this stuff. Corporate America has two screens. Our eyes go back and forth. Even that, you have a lot of scrolling, but that's a working memory issue. Do I have a tip, trick, or strategy for that? Well, print. (laughs) But your kids don't want to print. So my, my youngest son, who doesn't have ADHD, he was in a class when he was like a junior, and I'm like, like, he didn't understand the skills. Literally, I went through one day, grabbed Spark Notes. It took me 30 minutes to cut and paste everything into a document, print it out. I had him read it and highlight it. He was struggling in the class at the time. He took the final exam. This is just two weeks, and his grade was 20 points higher than what it was before mm. just because he was using a tool. And, you know, I, I don't like the idea. I got a printer, by the way. I print like 5,000 pages a month. And so I'm sharing this with you because – this is a crux. You're going to school and the, 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 the system's driving you because the iPads or the computers, that's all cheap. It's easy for the, for the teachers. That's a bit of a challenge. So you got to sit there and say, huh, get my kid a, a printer, get them multiple screens, help them understand some of that stuff. The other thing that's really a challenge is when I was a kid, 
and I have a book, if it's just like that thick or that thick, right? I can tell by looking at it, the density, and I can look at the words. Oh, wow, those are easy to read words. It was really mm-hmm. fine print. It ha- I had a sense, I could look at something and get a sense of the amount of work it was. When I'm looking at a link to a video, I have no idea what is involved with regard to that video. I can't conceptualize it a little bit. And this is a real problem that at first you help your kids kind of get together because, and by the way, books are, were all chronological when I grew up, or at least there was a list of chapters. Now there's like, you know, you have this video and this thing over here, and it's not really right. I mean, were hard to put in chronological form. What you do here is ideally you, you put it in a format for your kid and they help them understand. But the problem is we all don't think the same way. So people ask me, well, how do you understand how you think? Well, you look at how the kid does stuff. It's, this is observation. If you watch, like people come to me all the time, my kids are unorganized. Well, yeah, he's, he's got to do something. Like one parent one time said, you know, my kid's unorganized except for packing for scuba. I said, well, have you ever watched how he packs for scuba? No. Well, he, you need to go look at that because something's going right. Like you have to look at the way that they do it. If you watch their behavior, you can get clues on what works for them. And so by understanding the way these kids have these things, they're all over the place. And by the way, God, having to go on to Edline or whatever, and every teacher does it something different. Some of them are really good. This is everything up front. And then they change it last minute is, you know, everybody, I really wish I could say there's one thing to do, but it's just sitting there working with your kids, watch them, watch what comes easy for them Mm -hmm. and help them learn that as best you can. Because unfortunately it's convenient for the teachers to do it. However, they do. And society actually tends to bully us into doing it their way because it's more convenient for them. And so, again, I don't want to, I don't want to be a naysayer here, and, but the idea is, this is why you have to kind of get involved, you have to watch your kids, but understand that tip, trick, and strategy are not going to work. You have to look at this from a working memory perspective, and you have to problem solve for that. And hopefully, I'm describing this in a way that you can begin to sit and say, like, again, I'm 57, you had a syllabus, it was all, it was really simple, but now I go online, I'm like, oh my God, I can't even, what's, I, I can't even get my head around it. So a lot of times I just, my kids just print it all out, put it in a binder, go back and do it old school, which is a great resource for those that are watching. If you Google attention talk radio GPS, I did an interview with Dr. Russell Barkley on this topic. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, we talked for like 50 minutes at the end of it, you know, papers high tech for people with ADHD. It was just <laughs> kind of funny. So some of this is just, just understanding what works and stick to it. Makes sense? Yeah, it does make sense. You know, I, I, uh, decided to go get my MBA and I graduated last year. And what was funny about it is it was a hybrid program. And so to your point, we, and of course, since, you know, the pandemic hit, obviously everything went online, but to your point, we had our instructions online. It was the worst experience that I ever had because I'm 46. So I also grew up with books and highlighting. So I ended up buying the book. Every class I bought the book and I went back to highlighting it. And it was even worse when we had to take tests because most of our tests were open book. Having to find information quickly online, there was just no way. So yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And and it's just, again, it goes back, papers, high tech. I I, I, like it. I wouldn't do it right now, but I got paper everywhere because it's too hard for me to do that. And, you know, it's funny because the people with ADHD, they, they have the urge to print. I'm like, if you feel the urge, you need to do it. And some people are like, I don't print that much. And I go, but when you need it, you need it. I'm going to share with you an experience. 
hopefully people can understand what I'm talking about, but this is how this plays out into the world all the time, particularly now, but it's invisible. Yeah. As I said, I have found that like 80% of procrastination is rooted in ambiguity. Ambiguity is you literally don't know what to do or your working memory is not able to retrieve something or you don't know where something is. So I'm coaching this person and I'm talking about this concept and they're arguing with me. No, I know, I know procrastination. I know, seriously, it's, it's this thing. And I'm talking about working memory. Then one day, well, they're having to work from home because of the pandemic. So they had been working into the office. Now they're home. And I get a text with them. Oh my God. And they recounted a situation where they were sitting there at the computer and they were having to recall a procedure or something. It's existing knowledge that they're trying to retrieve, but they don't have any cue for it. And they couldn't remember the sequence. And they began to realize normally at work, they would lean over and ask the person next to them and have the answer within two seconds and be right back on track. In this moment, there's nobody to ask. So they cued somebody who's got some other things going on and they went up to go get a cup of coffee and they never came back. And the point really is, is now they don't remember the procedure. Is it tribal knowledge or is it documented somewhere? Well, there is tribal knowledge. If it's documented, well, that's great. I don't know where it's documented because it's online. I don't know logically where, where it would be. So in that moment of ambiguity, because they weren't able to retrieve it, they got up to escape and get a cup of coffee and they come back and they say, I got a motivation and productivity problem. I'm knowing you got a working memory issue because of the ambiguity. And another small thing is I'm looking at my bookcase from across the room and I've got a bunch of books and there's one, there's a yellow one that's um, John Rady's book, Spark. And then there's a pink one, which is the Coactive Coaching. And I can look at the book and know what it is. But when I look online, I see a file, like my, I have to read something. Right. Like I can't identify it. So let me just, how this plays out. I'm literally coaching a guy one time and he's got like a bunch of binders and he's like, I don't look at them. And like, I'm talking to him and like one of the binders says Bank of America. And he, he, he like, I'm talking to him and he, Bank of America, when he reads the word, he's got to stop and he's got to visualize the bank to associate it with the word. Mm. And that's a lot of work. All he wants to do is escape. So what we did is we printed off the logo of Bank of America and put it on the outside of the binder because he looked at it and he didn't have to do the work. There was an association and he was able to pull it out. So when I'm looking on my bookcase, I'm seeing visual cues that have associations so it reduces the thinking. But if I got to file something, find something on my computer by reading the word and constructing the picture after hitting subfolders, as we start to talk about this, I got to find it online where there's no visual cues and I got to read this stuff and put it together. If, if you guys are listening, you're starting to cognitively follow along. Is it wearing you out? It's making me sick sitting here thinking about it. And we're asking our kids to do that more and more. And employers are doing that because it's convenient for the ID and stuff in theory. But those are the challenges. That's what we have to advocate for. And so sometimes printing the stuff off, highlighting, go back to old schools. That mindset can help you get you know, get your kids kind of through school. And remember, there's a battle out there. Do you do it for your kids or do you let them do it on their own? Well, school's about knowledge. We got to get them through school so they have the knowledge to problem solve. But at the same time, the world doesn't always do the same thing. So at some point in time as a parent, you got to help them along 
just to get the knowledge so that they actually have the intelligence when they get out there. But there's also a thing where you begin to work with them on what's going on, learn to advocate. You know, you need multiple screens, you need you know printers, and there's a certain amount of well, I just do it this way, and to advocate for themselves. And then there's some other areas where it's really a matter of just don't get a job doing that because you're just not going to be able to do that. Not because you don't know the material, not because you're not smart. It's just the societal expectation and tools that they use in that industry is just not going to fit for your brain. Yeah. That makes makes sense. sense. Yep. That does make sense. So is there anything that we may have missed or anything, any last tidbits that you can share with the parents? Let me see. What I like to tell people is when they come to me, it's not about overcoming your ADD or fixing yourself. Mm -hmm. It's about working with it. You kind of have to play the ball where it is. And so let me give you an example. Writing is horrific for me. Uh, when I got into this business back in 2007, back then you had to write a book or do a blog to make a name for yourself. And I'm like, I, I, I just don't do that. So I started my podcast and then my YouTube channel because it's easier for me to talk. And um, over time, I made a name for myself. I did it my way, not the way you're supposed to do it. Some people would call that strength-based approach. I don't really know if that's the right word. Basically, it's easier for me. It's more natural for me. Now I'm a published author, but usually I'm working with somebody or I just dictate a stream of consciousness, explain to somebody what I want to be and let them write it. You know, am I supposed to do it? Well, I guess you should, but it's not going to work for me. So my point really is, is as a parent, don't try to have your kid overcome ADHD. It's the awareness of this is the way they do it and really advocate for that because if you don't, it's like me, I, I got dyslexia. I'm not... I'm not going to spell. I haven't. I just gave up. It was. I was spending so much energy trying. Maybe I should spell right, but it was impairing my life because I wouldn't get anything else done. And now that I just accepted it, every once in a while people get in my crawl. I'm like, right, that, that's all. That's if you're going to judge me on that, you got bigger problems than me. And I just let it go. My life has been so much easier as a result of that. So at the end of the day, my point really is is that don't try to fix your kid. Don't think that they're going to overcome it. The idea is to understand it's there and help them work with their ADHD and work with the working memory. You can take some stuff and improve it a little bit, but if you're performing at the 20th percentile and you got to the 30th, that's 50% improvement, but you're still below average. If you're at the 90th percentile and you get to the 99th, that's a 10% improvement. You went from good to almost Olympic gold. So (laughs) anyway, last two cents. Awesome. And if people have any, or do you have any resources that people can review, whether it be, you know, you had talked about the so YouTube channel podcast. On my, on my website at digcoaching.com under shop, there's a, a book, an ebook. It's a collection of five books that I, it's interviews that I did with uh, Russell Barkley. Um, there's one that's strictly devoted to uh, working memory. And then there's one on executive function. There's one on motivation and one on emotions. And you can read them. You can see how they're all kind of tied together a little bit. So that's useful. Or if you just go to YouTube, type in attention talk video, working memory, um, a whole bunch of stuff will come up. We just did one exercise here. I've got a lot of other exercises because there's, if you think of like a GPS, you have new information coming in. That's another way of looking at your stuff. Also anxiety, and overwhelmed can be a result of worry because you can't hold a ball and you're working. But I break it down in kind of bite-sized pieces to put it all together. And then the one interview that I said earlier, um, Attention Talk Radio GPS off of you, you'll hear a conversation I had with Dr. Barkley. And uh, uh, you'll, for me, 
again, the issue under the issue a lot of times is, is a thinking challenge that people aren't solving for. They're mm -hmm. just expecting people to try harder. And if you focus on the thinking part, if you make, if you remove the temptations and making thinking easier, it usually is a pretty good winning combination. Nice. And if they want to get a hold of you and ask more questions, the website is also still the best Dig, place. Digcoaching.com or my phone number is 762 ADD ADHD. Um, that's very cool. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making Georgia, by the way. That's just where the number was on Google Voice, but I got it because it, it's easy to remember. <laughs> that is too funny. Well, Jeff, that was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving me your time. Thank you for what you do and trying to get the word out there. The people that are here are in need and just providing this forum in the way that you do. It's, uh, I, I know I speak on behalf of those that are, that are your fans. Thank you for what you do. Thank you. All right, everyone, that closes up another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Bye. Bye, Jeff. Thank you for joining us on another episode of ADHD Love Parent Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, please do not forget to leave a review. And join me as I talk with another exciting guest next week. Have a wonderful day.